Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Let me pray for us as we dive into uh, this new series. I'm really excited. This morning we're starting a new series called... uh, Mind transformation, not to be confused with mind control, but um, we're going to, that was a joke. Anyway, uh, we don't want to control your mind. We want you to take your mind and, and let God control it. So that's, that's the whole point, but, but transform, mind's transformation. And, and so we're excited. It's only a three-part series, very short, but, but very powerful stuff here. And uh, so this morning, as we dive into this series, I want to pray I think it's very appropriate to pray Paul's prayer for the Ephesians this morning for us as we get started. So would you just join me in prayer here? Glorious Father, give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wow. So that we might know the Lord Jesus more fully. And I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know the hope to which the Lord Jesus has called us. Reveal to us the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints in his incomparably great power for us who believe. And Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches you would strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may fully reign in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we will become rooted and established in the love of Christ that that we may have the power together with all your people to fully grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is and to know that love that surpasses knowledge, to know the love that surpasses being known. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, please fill us completely with all the fullness of God. And this morning, Lord, as I begin to to teach this new series, as I introduce this series, Lord, Lord, I just pray that you would fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit and give me supernatural communication, Lord, to all of our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. So the name of of my my sermon this morning is... Truth frees, lies bind. Truth frees, lies bind. In other words, the, the, the truth, the truth, the real truth, the truth of God's word, the truth that, that um, is in this book right here will set us free if we really know it, if we really understand it. It will set us free. But lies bind us. And I, I want to just, just reference Jesus' words about this in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 31. Just a a few verses here to kind of introduce this this concept, because this is straight from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, to the Jews who had believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, and the teaching of Jesus is truth. In fact, he is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set us free from what? 
He mentions sin. There's freedom from fear, freedom from worry, freedom from all kinds of things that bind us up. In verse 34, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So he's referring to sin specifically. And I think anything outside the will of God is really sin at the, at the, at the core. When we're told 365 times, do not, do not worry, do not fret, do not be anxious, 365 prohibitions to that, and we do it, then we're out of God's will. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who's, who worries is a slave to worry. Everyone who fears is a slave to fear. You fill in the blank. So, he says, if the Son sets you free by the truth, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you feel peaceful most of the time? Do you feel joyful? Do you have this deep sense of well-being in you, what the, the Jews, the, the Israelites would have called and still do for that matter, shalom, which means just a deep sense of well-being at the core of who you are? Do you, is that your experience of life? Or do you struggle with negative thoughts constantly? Do you, do you constantly deal with fear, with anxiety, with worry, with depression, with, with, with all kinds of, of, of negative thoughts and negative emotions. I, I want to I say two things at the beginning of the message this morning to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you've answered yes to those things that I just asked you, yes, Neil, if I were honest with you, and, I'm, and it's a rhetorical question, I'm not going to have anyone raise your hand and answer me. I'm going to honor your, uh, you know, your privacy there. But if you've answered yes to any of those questions, do you worry? Do you live in fear? Do you live in anxiety? Do you deal with these things on a regular basis? Then there's no condemnation. And there's certainly no condemnation from me because I've spent much of my life dealing with those things, struggling with those things, honestly. I'm much better now than I've ever been. You know, that in, in any given day, I have a lot of peace, a lot of joy, and that sort of thing. But I'm also 64 years old, and I've been a Christian for 60 of those 64 years. And I've come to the place where I'm trusting God more than I've ever trusted Him. I have more peace than I've ever had. But I have had a lot of struggle with these things. So you won't get any condemnation from me. And the second thing I want to say is that there, we have an enemy. You know, there are two teams on the field. We don't, we're just not marching towards heaven without any resistance. We, we have an enemy who hates us. And, and he's pushing back against us. And his main, I, I really believe this with all my heart, his main strategy is to whisper lies in our ears and to tell us lies. Amen. Dennis point out, pointed out that, that uh, Satan's name in Hebrew is Nahas. What does that sound like? Whisper. You're nothing. You're guilty. God doesn't love you. You're not worthy of his love. God's promises are not for you. You, you, you don't measure up. All these, these lies, he's constantly telling us, because one of his main um, 
uh, goals is to discourage us. A discouraged, you know what discouraged means? It means being stripped of courage. Your courage is taken away. And if you're a warrior and, and, and you have lost your courage, what are you going to do? You're going to hide. You're going to run. You're going you're to be of very little use to, to, um, in, in the war that we're in. And we're in a war, by the way, guys. This life is a war. We're in a battle. We're constantly in a battle. And so the enemy wants to discourage you. And he does that through condemnation, accusations, binding us up in lies so that we're frozen in fear and we're ripped, ripped to shreds by anxiety and we're, we're pressed down by depression. Have you been bound by these things? Constant worry over all kinds of things, your health, your family, your, your, your children, your, your parents, your, your job, your money, just constantly just riddled with fear and anxiety and worry. That's the enemy. God's not going to take care of you. You're on your own. It's just, it's just in, you know, insidious the way he does this. So I want to remind you again what Jesus said. If you hold to my teaching, you, and, and this whole book is his teaching, but the new covenant in particular, we just got through with this gospel of God series. That is the truth that sets you free. Those, those chapters in Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, that's the truth that sets you free. And Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let the Son set you free, okay? We're going we're gonna to talk about how that happens. You know, I said we just finished this series in Romans uh, 1 through 8. On the gospel of God. What does gospel mean? Good news. You know, I'm so thankful that the good news is actually true news. It's truth. And it's, it's freeing truth. I mean, it is, it is life-giving truth. And at the end of Romans 8, Paul kind of gives a summary of, of, uh, of what he's been saying. You know, he's been talking about how we, you know, righteousness is not, not something that we earn by keeping the law. It's a free gift of God, and it comes through faith in Christ. And then he talks about how the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And he talks about how we died with Christ, and we were, our old Adam, our old self was crucified with him, and we've been crucified, dead, and buried with him in co-crucifixion with Christ. And how we've been raised to live a new life in the Spirit. And we're no longer enslaved to sin or, or, or under the law. And, and all these things are such, there is such good news. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then picking up in verse 31 towards the end of, the, of Romans 8. He says, what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, and he is, who can be against us? That's good news, isn't it? God is for you. So if God is for you, who, who will be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's his goal, folks. That's, his, that's, that's the thing that he's looking most forward to. He, he says just a little bit earlier in this chapter that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Everything that God has and has given to his son he is going to share with us. 
all things, all good things, by the way. Who will bring a, a charge against God's, God's chosen? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He's the one who's made us right before him. Who then is the one who condemns? Well, Satan tries, but the answer to this question is right there. No one. No one. <laughs> God's not listening to that. You know, it says in, in uh, Revelation 12 that he accuses us before God day and night. Satan stands and accuses you and me before God day and night. The problem is we can hear that. We can hear those accusations. We can hear his whispers of condemnation and accusation. But God's not listening. Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you know why it says also there? Because in verse 27, it says the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. So we have the Father on his throne and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, his Son, interceding for us. Do you think God's going to answer those prayers when the Spirit's praying for us and the Son is praying for us? The answer to that question is yes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. That's how, the, that's how Romans 8, this gospel of God, ends at least up to that point. So chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul chases a necessary rabbit. He's talking to a mixture of Jews and Gentiles who are having trouble getting along with each other. And so 9, 10, and 11 are kind of about why you guys should be getting along and living together well. And then he picks up, he picks up his, his um, teaching on the gospel again then in Romans 12, verse 1. It says this, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because of all these wonderful things that I just listed, from the righteousness of God as a gift from God, the blood of Jesus, the, the cross of Jesus, the co-heirness co with Jesus, the fact that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which is spoken throughout all of Romans 1 through 8, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, where have we heard that before? To offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, offering our bodies not to sin, but to God. Well, it was in the Gospel of God sermon that, it, and I just want to refer back to this now in Romans 6, beginning with verse 11. Count yourselves dead to sin because we were co crucified with Christ and raised to, to, to live a new life in the Spirit. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. 
so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body or yourself to sin as an instrument or weapon of sin, wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself, your body, to him as instruments or weapons of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master. So as we, as we start into where Paul picks up his argument again about the gospel, of, you know, the gospel of God, he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your, the parts of your body to God as, as worship. We're offering our bodies to God for holy purposes and worship. Do you realize that you and I are, the, are now the temple of the Holy Spirit? It says that very clearly a couple of times in 1 Corinthians, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit of God doesn't dwell now in some building in Jerusalem or some tent in the wilderness. It dwell, our, our bodies now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather this way corporately, the Holy Spirit is here in a way that is powerful. We experience that in worship. It's just powerful. Let me find... Wait, I'm using paper. Never mind. I, was, I thought for a second there I had an iPad. Um, let me find my place here. <laughs> yeah, Dennis. Wait. So... Verse 2, <laughs> that's a joke for Dennis. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. I, I like paper. I don't like iPads, you know. <laughs> I'm old. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, Dennis, by using an iPad. No, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There we go. Now, first of all, I want to point out the contrast here. So we're to present our bodies as, as holy to the Lord. And, and we're not, it says don't, but do not conform to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world that is being talked about here? I don't know if you realize this, and, and I learned this years ago in seminary from a, a beloved professor of mine. When he summarized this this way, he said the pattern of this world since Genesis 4 is for people, human beings that God created in his image, who rebelled against him and lost and, and, and became dead in their spirits, the pattern of this world is to try to live our lives finding meaning, value, and purpose, independent from and in rebellion against God. I'm going to say that again. The pattern of this world and the way that human beings separated from God with dead spirits tend to function is we try to live this life finding value, meaning, and purpose independent of God and in rebellion against Him. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs. The very people that were created to be His children, created in His image, that God was going to give the keys to the entire world to rule and reign here, we handed those keys over to Satan, and we became rebels, and we became independent, and we unplugged ourselves. It's like a lamp unplugging itself from the wall and trying to shine light without any power. 
without any connection to the source. It's really sad. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. But he says this, in contrast to that, but, but is contrast, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Transformation. Moving from one thing to another. Moving from being independent and rebellious to being submitted. It says, then then you'll be able to test and approve. So, So testing and approving... What is God's will? What God's will is. That's not living independent from God. That's not living in rebellion against God. That's living a life with God. Living in his will. Living filled with his spirit. Moving with him. Depending on him. Relying on him. Cooperating with him. Not living in independence and rebellion. So that we might test and approve his will. Listen to this. His good Pleasing and perfect will. Wow. If we could embrace that, if we could just understand that, that his will, regardless of what it is, is good. It's good for us. It's good for others. It's good for him. It's pleasing to him. To please God is the greatest thing in the world. To live a life pleasing to God, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, is a wonderful place to be. Because it it produces all kinds of good things in our lives. And his perfect will. God's will is perfect. I love that. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in view of the gospel of God, offer your bodies to the Lord. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or we can say it another way. Renew your mind so that you'll be transformed. We're going to talk about why that is. Um, Pursue the truth so you'll be set free. That's another way to say it. Does that make sense? So now, why does Paul just focus on renewing the mind? Why doesn't he mention the the spirit or the body? He's focused on the mind. Well, the short answer is this. Our bodies are to be given to him as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as long as they're um, sound and as long as as we live in in this body, in, in in this frail outward tent that we have, we're all good. But do you realize, how many of you know that your body is not yet redeemed and perfected like your spirit is? Yeah, I, I just turned 64. Every morning, my back and my knees and my shoulders tell me that this body is temporary, that this tent is wearing out. You, you remember the, the tent in the wilderness? It was made out of gopher skin and stuff. It was very, very plain. In fact, in, in the book of, of 2 Corinthians, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that, that we have this treasure of his spirit in earthen vessels. Clay jars, basically, is the translation. We are clay jars. We can be broken. We will be broken. We'll wear out. Paul says later in, in chapter 4 that our outward, though our outward body, our outward man is is wasting away, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And this tent that we live in will someday collapse and we'll be be given a new home in heaven. We'll we'll be given a new body. Hallelujah. (laughs) So we're not to renew our bodies. I mean, exercising and eating right, that's all great. But that's not what we're focused on here because that's not how we're transformed. 
and our spirits are already perfect. There, there's a scripture in, I've, I've, re, I've repeated the scripture over and over again, and I hope that it's screwed into your forehead and you never forget this. Because it's, it's one of the most important to me, one of the most important scriptures in all of the New Testament. It says this, and this sums up the gospel to me. By one sacrifice, this is, this is Hebrews 10, 14. By one sacrifice, he, Christ Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being made holy. That almost sounds like an oxymoron. That almost sounds like a contradiction in terms. If we're perfected forever, how are we being made perfect or holy? Because holiness and perfection are very close to the same word. Well, to me, it's very simple. When, when our dead spirit is united with God's spirit, when we come to Christ and when we give him our lives and we say, Jesus, come in, come in and be my Lord and Savior and give me your spirit, give me your life, his spirit comes in and quickens my dead spirit to life, your dead spirit to life, and we become one with him. Our spirit and his spirit becomes one to the point that when you read the original Greek, there was no punctuation, there, were no, there was no capitalization, and all the words just ran together. And so sometimes sentences are hard to know where the period goes and where the capital, you know, that sort of thing. And sometimes it's hard to know if, God, if Paul is talking about our spirit or the Holy Spirit. And my answer to that, if someone says, which is he talking about, is yes. Because we're one. Our spirit and the Holy Spirit have become one in us. And so we don't need to renew our spirits. Our spirits are perfect. But where we need to be renewed is in our soul. You know, we're made up of, uh, in, in, um, I'll just reference it here, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says this, verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctify, make you perfect, make you holy. May your whole spirit, soul, and body... Spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. And the soul is made up of our minds, where we think, our wills, where we choose, our emotions, where we feel, and our identity, where we, where we understand who we are and what we are. And that's what the Holy Spirit is working to redeem. He's working to renew our minds. He's working to, for us, uh, to help us surrender our wills to God, His good, perfect, pleasing, and perfect will, to have our emotions healed because we, most of us function with a, a set of damaged emotions because we live in a world where Satan hates us and he tries to damage our emotions as early in our lives as possible. And our identities are stolen and broken. And so the Holy Spirit is at work to redeem, restore, renew those things. But, you know, our minds are really the place where this happens. I mean, it, the mind kind of is the overlord of the will, the emotions, and the identity. And so that's what needs to be renewed. If our minds... So, so if the truth sets us free... Lies bind us. If, if we believe the truth and we know the truth, then, then we'll be transformed. We'll be set free. But if we're believing lies, if we're hearing those lies from the enemy, we're believing those lies, then we become bound up in all kinds of, 
of wrong thinking and, and uh, wrong choices then and damaged emotions and we're functioning out of emotions like fear and anxiety and depression and, and worry and, and, uh, and we, we, our identity is worthlessness. Our identity is sin, sinner, sinful. Do you know how many Christians believe they're still sinners? That that's their primary identity is a sinner? Nowhere in the new covenant are we referred to after we come to Christ as sinners? Trust me. You have to trust me on this one. I know for a fact that we are not identified as sinners. We're identified as saints who sometimes sin. So in essence, what, what we believe in our minds determines what we become in our will our emotions, and our identity. What we believe determines what we become. And, and so we need to be transformed in our minds so that that trickles down to our will, our emotions, and our identity. Let me just illustrate this in my own life. I love my dad. He will turn 89 in about a month. He's deaf. He'll never hear the sermon. Uh, he's, he's, he's very frail. I don't anticipate that he will be with us much longer. Um, I love him. I respect him. He's one of my heroes. I have very few living heroes. My dad is one of them. But he didn't come to Christ until I was in the seventh grade. And so my dad was very abused by uh, a, a very, very broken set of parents. He was very abused, verbally and emotionally, never really physically, but berated constantly. And that's how he grew up. And so he met and married my mom, who loved the Lord, uh, but didn't really know him, like she wasn't yet born again. And so, you know, they had me. And so, you know, the, the firstborn always bears the brunt of, you know, the experimentation. And, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we get all the mistakes and, and all the, oh, uh, we tried that, so let's, let's do better on the second one, you know. You know what I'm talking about, Kai, right? Yeah, amen. Yeah, we're brothers. Anyway, so, so my, uh, my, my dad was extremely hard on me, very verbally abusive. I didn't know it. I don't even think he knew it. But he was just, he would pound me constantly to try to help me become better. And uh, he was engineer, he was uh, an engineer, he, he had a, a minor, a major, he majored in mechanical engineering in college, a minor in mathematics. I couldn't add three and three. Um, you know, I, I was very into language, I was very into art, I was very right brain, he was very left brain. I, I, I loved color, he was colorblind. I was the oldest compliant child. He was the baby brat. I'm telling you, he was a brat. He was when he was little. And so we were so different, but because I was a male, he thought we were just alike. And so he judged me by himself. And so I would do something stupid, and he thought I was being sneaky. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, just always the wrong interpretation of me because he was interpreting it through himself. And he was using the same kind of corrective tools that his parents used with him only they were much more abusive. He was just trying to correct me. But he used only the, the, the tools he had were verbal, verbal berating. That was what he knew. 
And so there's this one day that, that I was very stupid. I was four or five years old, and he had this dog that came along a year before I got on the scene. So the dog, dog was his first child, and, and uh, my dad had a code of ethics that you never mistreated an animal, uh, a, a child, or an old person. You just didn't do that. And so uh, for some stupid reason, I decided that I was going to chase his dog with a plastic toy, and I was, I was hitting it. And, he, and I don't think it was hurting the dog, honestly, but, but nonetheless, I was hitting this, this dog named Bootsy, his, his, his dog, with this toy, and he looks out the window, and he sees me violating his code of ethics, and he yells, you know, Neil, get in here! And, oh, man, I knew I'd had it. I mean, I didn't realize I was doing something stupid until I heard those words, and then I'm like, that was not smart. And I know that I got my behind whipped. I know that, you know, I'm not, I'm fine with corporal punishment. I have no problem with spankings. I, do, I don't want anybody to spank me now, but, you know, when I was growing up, I, I probably deserved three quarters of the spankings I got. The other one quarter was misunderstanding because, like I said, my dad judged me by himself. So I got a spanking, which I probably deserved for hitting his dog. But, but then um, I'm in the kitchen with my mom. My dad's sitting in the living room, mad as a hornet. And uh, my mom says to me, I'm, you know, I'm doing the <laughs> thing, and she says, Neil, it, you, you need to go and, ask, and, and, and tell your dad you're sorry for hurting Bootsy. That's his dog he loves. And so she had no idea how terrified I was to do that. But I, 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 being the compliant older child that I was, I, I, I made my way into the living room where my dad was sitting in the rocking chair. His face was red. His jaws were clenched. I could, I could, you could cut the tension with a knife. He was just staring out the window. And uh, I, I walk over, and I feel about this tall. And I look up, and it's like, you know, he's 20 feet tall, sitting in this rocking chair. And I say, Dad, I'm sorry I, hurt, I hit Bootsy. And instead of pulling me up in his lap and saying, Son, I, you know, I forgive you, but, you know, you shouldn't blah, blah, blah. And let's don't do that again. And here's, you know, he turns around and just rips my face off. You never, ever, you know, he just, he just launches in and just rips me to shreds. And, and I just kind of crawled. Once I felt like it was safe to leave, I just kind of crawled away. And that just left this huge scar on my heart. And I drew some conclusions from that and other things that my dad did. I hope to God he doesn't ever hear the sermon. Because he, he became, a, he, he got saved when I was in seventh grade, and he started going to church with us, and then he started, I mean, church was, was really important, and we went almost every Sunday. We hardly ever missed church after that, and he started working, you know, and he became a deacon, and, and, you know, by the time I was in high school, we were pretty good friends. By the time I was in college, he was really my best friend in college. It was wonderful, and, and every time I go home, you know, I, we, we can't do it anymore because he can't hear me, but I mean, we would sit for hours and just talk, and he tells stories about you know growing up and his life and it, it, we just I love my dad and and he became such a man of God, such a man of God. As 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 he grew older, all he did was just sit and read the Bible when he couldn't do anything else. Mom would take pictures and send to me. He'd just be sitting there with his little dog by his side, just with his Bible open in his lap, reading. It was awesome. What a great dad. What a great heritage that is for me. But that. But I drew some conclusions. The enemy whispers in my ear. Whispers in my ear these things. 
you're bad. You're fundamentally flawed. You're stupid. You're wrong-headed. You're not, you're, you're not a good guy. You're, you're not okay. You're worthless. And I, I just grew up with this huge inferiority complex. I, I didn't feel like I could ever measure up to my dad's standards. And, and that didn't go away just because my dad got saved and I grew up. No matter how close we got, it didn't erase those early childhood wounds. We just grow up around those wounds. And somehow God's got to, to bring his truth to bear on those lies that we believe. Because I, I drew those conclusions. I thought I was, I just thought that I was, you know, my dad is, you know, he's God. He's, he knows everything. And so it just bound me up. I was bound in all kinds of fear and anxiety and insecurity and depression. And, um, and so I just believe that stuff. And here's an example of how that bound me up. I, I've been a part of a group of pastors um, in the larger churches in Springfield for probably 20 years now. And when we first got together, Wally Martinson, the, uh, who is a, a leader in Springfield, and, and just kind of like, like he, he's like um, uh, the spiritual father of this, of this city in a way. I just, he's one of my best friends. And Wally got us together because we needed to, to start meeting together and getting to know each other. And when we first got there, everybody sitting in the room kind of like, We've been competing against each other for, you know, decades. Now we're in a room together and we're supposed to somehow like each other. And as we met, you know, the tensions relaxed and we really did become friends. But here's what happened in my heart. I was like, I felt like a little kid in a room with adults. I was still that little broken kid with an inferiority complex. And as much as I love to talk, and anybody that knows me knows I love to talk, Somebody find out who that was. Get their name. I want to know afterwards. I got some words with you from my dad early. But um, I felt like, and so I would, I, I very seldom talked. And, and if I did, I would wait for 10 minutes what I was going to say. And then I would wait for just the right moment. And I would interject something and I would back out real fast before anybody realized that I was stupid and didn't know what I was talking about. That's how I felt. Now, no one knew that. But then, about five years ago, the Lord did some major renovation in my heart. Of course, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, the truth was seeping into my heart little by little. But then there was some, God used some people uh, to break through with truth and with deliverance and, and, and set my heart free. One of the things, well, two of the things that I dealt with, actually three, uh, big things, shame, self-hatred, I drew the conclusion I was no good, so I hated myself, and worthlessness. And the Lord set me free from those things, miraculously set me free. And lo and behold, I go to those pastor's meetings, and I no longer felt like a little kid in a room with adults. I felt like I was with my brother's. And I started interacting as an adult with my brothers. And I found out that they really did love me. And they really actually liked me. And they respected me, of all things. Even, you know, when before I didn't respect myself. And so God can heal us from those things. I was bound by the lies of the enemy. And God set me free by his truth. Now, how, 
How have I gone about renewing my mind? I just want to share it with you. I, I have not arrived, folks. I still struggle. This week has been a really difficult week for me. Some stuff happened, and the enemy, of course, comes with his accusation and condemnation. But you know what? I didn't let it sink, sink deep because I know the truth, and the truth has set me free. But how have I renewed my mind? Well, for one thing, you, you, I try to, to, to surround myself on a regular basis with, with people that speak truth to me. It's, it's really important to be around healthy, non-toxic people who will, will, will tell you the truth, even if it hurts, but will also encourage you and not flatter you. Does that make sense? Dennis is one of those people. My sermon prep team, so we have a sermon prep team that, you know, we preach to and then they critique uh, uh, after I'm done. And he, he, he spares no truth in his critique of, of my, my uh, preaching. And uh, I always kind of brace myself for the Russian concussion that's coming, you know. <laughs> but also daily, daily in this book, this book needs to speak to me on a daily basis. And I've learned to go there every day and, and let God's word just speak truth to me. Line upon line, precept, precept upon tre- precept, day after day, week after week, year after year, just exposing myself to the truth that sets me free. And then there are also devotional books. I, there's two or three devotional books that I read on a regular basis that basically echo and illustrate and highlight the truth of the Word of God. For example, Streams in the Desert. I've read that book every day for the last 35 years. And it just it starts with the Scripture and it expounds on it and gives illustrations about it. I love that stuff because we need the truth to be illustrated for us. I journal. I listen to the voice of God and I write down what He says to me. And you know, I know it's God's voice because it agrees with His Word. But it's directly, personally to me. And then I, I, I love books like I just finished just like two days ago, Watchman Nee's Normal Christian Life. That book has been so powerful in these last few months since we started the Gospel of God. The very first morning, that in the first Sunday in May, when we introduced the series, Dennis said you should read Watchman Nee's The Normal Christian Life because it's all about what we're preaching. And so I immediately ordered a copy of that book and began to read it. And I just finished it, like, well, actually, I finished it yesterday. I had the last seven pages yesterday morning, my devotional time. That book has impacted me in ways I can't even explain. It has shown me truth that I'd never seen before and set me free, further set me free. The book uh, that, that Dennis and I preached through a year ago called Principles of Spiritual Growth, it was a series called Radical Growth. That little book, it's a little green book about this thick. I read it every year. Wally Martinson gave it to me 26 years ago, and I've been reading it every year all the way through. It's very, it's, it's, it's very short, but very packed with just scriptural truth and, and great saints of God that are expounding on the truth that they've learned. And it was really cool the other night in small group, one of the people uh, in our small group that you know, had been through that series with us said, you know, I'll never forget one of the things that I heard in that series in, in that little book, Principles of Spiritual Growth. A truth that really has set me free in a big way is that failure 
We look at failure. We, we, we hate failure. We run from it. We, we deny it. We, we, we do everything in our, our power to avoid it. And yet failure is one of the chief tools of God to turn us away from ourselves and our own sufficiency towards Him. And so God sometimes even orchestrates our failure so that we will turn to him away from ourselves and our own independence and rebellion and sufficiency and look to him as our sufficiency. I, I just I love that stuff. It is so good. So here's my challenge. Here's my challenge and we're done. I'm going to give you a very simple way to renew your mind. Very, very simple. I, want, I really hope you take me serious about this. There's someone that's uh, recently joined our church that told me that every day, Monday through Saturday, they read through Ephesians. So Monday, chapter 1. Tuesday, chapter 2. Wednesday, chapter 3. Right on to Saturday, chapter 6. They come to church on Sunday to hear the truth, and on Monday they start over. I said, man, that's awesome. Every day, reading Ephesians. Because aside from Romans, Ephesians is one of the the other books that unpacks the gospel. And it also, the, the first three chapters are about the gospel. The second three chapters are about the application, how you live this out in a practical way every day. I, th- I said, that's wonderful. Why don't you do this, I said. He said, every morning I do. I said, why don't every night before you go to bed, start with Romans 3 and then on Monday and then Romans 4 on Tuesday and Romans 5 on Wednesday all the way through to Romans 8 on Saturday. And he said, I'm going to do that. And he, and he started doing it. Now, morning, Ephesians, evening, one chapter in the morning, one chapter in the evening. If, you, if that's too much and, and you just, you know, you're like, Neil, I could probably only do a chapter a day. Then alternate it. Do Ephesians 1 through 6 one week and, and, and Romans 3 through 8 the next. But what you're doing is that you're sowing seeds into your mind. You're sowing truth into your mind that will take root and ultimately set you free. Now, I want to ask this. What if every person in this room did something like that and truly got set free from, from, from sin and from lies and from these things that bind us up and, and trip us up and keep us from being effective in the kingdom, keep us under the thumb of Satan and bound to sin, bound to to, to worry and fear and anxiety. What if, we, well, what if this group of people right here actually took this seriously and began to let God transform their minds? What would, what would happen? Well, you would be transformed. You would become less bound up, more powerful. And then as a, as a group of people, as a church, we would become transformed. We would become less bound, more powerful. And then I believe that would that would move out in our relationships with our coworkers, our family members, our, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies. And we just move out. Transformation begins in our minds. But I believe that that's the pebble dropped in the pond for us that should ripple out around us and transform our world. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.